last Sunday, Chris spoke uh, from the sort of the very end, the last part of Philippians chapter 1, and he talked about walking in a manner worthy of our calling, that there is something about being and claiming to be children of God that should be evident in how we walk. And even in one of the songs that we were singing this morning, it says, we are walking from earth, or teach me, God, how to walk from earth into eternity. What's that walk supposed to look like? And uh, I think chapter 2 of Philippians really is just a continuation of what Chris talked about last Sunday. What does that walk look like? What does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of our calling as children of God? And I believe that at the heart of the Christian faith is the expectation to humbly serve and humbly love one another. And I believe there is so much in the New Testament that says that the credibility of our I'll call it our vertical relationship with God. The credibility of that relationship is demonstrated in how we treat one another. That the vertical actually has its expression in what you might want to call the horizontal aspect of life. Jesus sacrificed his life to serve others. He gave up his life to set people free And I'm going to say this, he requires that his true followers have that same attitude. To serve rather than be served, to love rather than hate, to forgive rather than hold grudges, to be peacemakers rather than, let's say, seek payback. It's a counterintuitive perspective on life. It challenges us to live beyond what I will call our natural inclinations. And it's evidence that we truly are his children. So it's true that there are many people who may oppose some of what we believe, they may take issue with what we say believe, what we believe about God, what we believe about Jesus Christ. But there is something about our reputation as Christians that how we live out what we believe, that when people look us, they look at us, they should say, those are honorable people. I think at one spot in the Bible, we are even referred to as a bit of a curious people, a bit of an odd or a peculiar people. But our calling is to serve as bright lights in a world that is troubled, a world that so often I think is confused, and a world that often is frightened. Our call is to live within that world as bright lights and to live differently. Philippians 2, 1 to 11, I would say is one of the most quoted passages of the New Testament. 
And Paul uses the example of Jesus as you might say the gold standard by which we need to examine our own life. And we might say, well, that bar is unrealistically high and is true. But I believe it establishes the ground rules, the foundation for how we as children of God are supposed to live and what that looks like. Philippians 4, verse 1 to 5. And uh, generally, I use the New Living Translation. If people are wondering, Doug, it doesn't look the same as that in my Bible. I tend to opt for the New Living Translation because it seems to speak in language that is, um, I think, very clear without sounding like a personal paraphrase. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Is there any comfort in his love? Is there any fellowship together in the Spirit of God? Are your hearts tender? Are your hearts compassionate? Then make me, and this would be Paul saying, make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and with one purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You, and it doesn't say should, it says you must, have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. The passage is, I think, a description of life in God's family. It's a description of life in God's kingdom, and the image is not fuzzy, it's not abstract, it's not like, well, I don't understand that. It is actually crystal clear that if my belief in God, if my belief in the cross and the resurrected Jesus, if my faith really means anything, it will be evident in how I think about myself and how I treat others. The credibility of our vertical relationship, the credibility of our faith, is tested in the horizontal relationships of life. It is in those relationships that we actually, what I think Paul refers to, we work out our salvation. We're not earning it, but we work it out. I want to say this morning that these ground rules for life, or if you want to say this lifestyle, is something that applies to every one of us in the church. We are all called to look like that and to live like that. There are no special house rules for those who are leaders in the church. Other than that, I would say these rules apply even more to those in leadership. And Paul goes on to say that this way of living, this Christian lifestyle of serving, of loving, 
of thinking of others, not only ourselves. It is not Paul's idea. It's not something Paul thought, well, this would be, I think, kind of a good thing to tell the church. He points us to the example of Jesus. Philippians 2, 5, 8. And some of the parts of this, I think, will be highlighted in orange. It just shows the example that Jesus set for us. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, though he was God. He did not think of equality with God as something to hang on to, to cling to. Some translations may say to grasp onto. He gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. And I think that we, we cannot even come close to understanding what that meant for the Son of God. To give up those divine privileges that you and I look forward to, we anticipate, we anticipate sharing in the glory of Jesus. Jesus had that and gave it up. The creator of all things died for what the Bible would say would be the rebellious people he created. And he died in order to restore them. To restore to you and to me a, a relationship with God who we can call Father. Humility rather than pride. A heart to serve rather than be served. Obedience rather than rebellion. Sacrifice, not entitlement. And so this week I thought, how fully have I bought into that way of living? I think the Bible, I think Paul, I think so much of the New Testament says that that way of living is the evidence, it is the proof that we are children of God. So more so than the words we might say, more so than a prayer at one time we might have spoken to God, the proof, the evidence that we are his children is in how we walk. This lifestyle, I think, provides a stark contrast to the thinking that drives this world. And the world might see Philippians 2 as kind of a sign of weak people. People who aren't fighting for their rights. People who aren't fighting for what it should be rightfully theirs. People who don't necessarily assume that everything they have belongs to them. They might see that as a sign of weakness. Humility, sacrifice, generosity, being a servant, those are not the engines that drive this world. But Paul says they must define us as children of God if those around us actually 
want to take our faith seriously. I remember a song in, um, came out in the mid-70s uh, by a great Canadian group. I shouldn't say that because some of you may not agree with that statement. Bachman Turner Override, well, Overdrive. They recorded a song called Looking Out for Number One. Um, Randy Bachman, still some of you may listen to him on Saturday night on CBC. He has a great show called Vinyl Tap, and I occasionally do listen to that. But in the song, Looking Out for Number One, uh, the message of that song is so incredibly blunt. And the lyrics, if you look at all of them, they actually extol the virtue of hard work. Because hard work may very well lead to success. And success gives you greater opportunities to cater to yourself. So I took just a little verse out of there. It said, there's only one way you're going to get things done. I found out the only way to the top is looking out for number one, and that's me. I'm looking out for number one. No one's going to get what's mine. The lyrics, I think, in a blunt way kind of describe the heart of man. And Paul knows that we wrestle against that same tendency in our lives, even as Christians. But I believe he says that in that wrestling, we are in fact working out our salvation. The fact that we wrestle with it means it doesn't come naturally. The fact that we wrestle with it means that we likely take it seriously. I think even the most selfless, the most selfless of us would admit that we actually spend a fair amount of time looking out for ourselves. We spend a fair amount of time looking out for our families. We spend a fair amount of time looking out for people we love. And I think Paul completely understands that. The message of this is not that you should not look out for yourself. And Paul, I don't even think or assumes that we will ignore our own interests in fact, he assumes the opposite. He assumes that we will take care of ourselves. He assumes we will take care of our families. But he challenges us at all times, and I'm going to say even in all seasons of life, in all circumstances of life, we actually see beyond our own needs. An acknowledgement that life is not all about me, that God's call on my life is a call to serve. At times it may be a call to sacrifice, but it's always a call to, in some way, look after the interests of others. So it's about our time, 
It is about perhaps our energy. It is about our money, those things that God has blessed us with. But I believe, by and large, it is about our heart. That as followers of Jesus Christ, that those attitudes defined, exemplified by Jesus in Philippians 2, should define us as a church community. Should define us as Creekside Church. I don't believe that humility is a sign of weakness. I believe that humility speaks to inner strength. I think humility speaks to confidence. It's about a quiet assurance that God is God and that God will sustain me. I don't need to grab onto things. God will provide for me. I think humility is one of the key trademarks of what it means to have a godly character. And throughout the Bible, whether it's the Old Testament or the New, you will find that in God's economy, in God's view of life, the proud will be brought down and the humble will be lifted up. I'm going to quote quite a bit this morning from Peter. Um, Sometimes we can think, well, Paul said that. Paul talked like that. But the reality is other disciples talk like that too. 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6. And this is after he's talked about how we are to act in homes, in marriages, in the workplace. And he says, and all of you. Serve each other in humility, for God opposes the proud, but favors the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And I want you to hang on to the last half of this verse. And at the right time, he, God, will lift you up in honor. 1 Peter 3.9. And again, after a conversation about how we are supposed to live, he says, finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults. When people insult you, instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do. And again at the end, and he will bless you for it. 2 Peter 1, verse 5 to 11. It's a long passage, but to me... When we think about what does it mean, what is it that makes me, what is it that gives me assurance that I am a child of God? Sometimes we may want to look back to a a moment 20, 30, 40 years ago. We're trying to hang on to that as assurance. I believe the Bible teaches this assurance of your faith. 
is gained in the working out of your salvation. Say, God, I understand what you're talking about. I want to live that way. Help me. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith. That's an interesting phrase. With a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. Really, when I look at that, it talks about seeking to live lives that bear the fruit of the Spirit of God. Even though it doesn't use that language here. That's really what he's talking about. The evidence of the Spirit of God in our life is that we seek to live like this. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way, wow, he's talking about Christians. Those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. And there's lots of passages in the New Testament, even by Jesus himself, about those who have heard, sort of maybe given mental, say, yeah, I, I kind of get that, and then return to a completely different way of life. Peter would say they're short-sighted and they're blind. So, dear brothers and sisters, Work hard, and I'm not sure how your translation says this, but I, when I read this this week, it was like, man, I don't, really, I don't know if I've ever seen it this clearly. Work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. And I would just ask, are we working at that? Am I working at that? Do these things, and Peter says you'll never fall away. And then God will, grant, will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I remember a study once that uh, I think was done probably decades ago. Uh, it was a study where they gave children in a little room a I think a marshmallow and put it on a plate and then the adult said you know what you can you can have that marshmallow whenever you want it but if you wait 15 minutes we'll give you another marshmallow and so and then the adult would leave the room And so they looked years down the road about those, even children who sort of were able to delay sort of getting what they want immediately for the sake of getting something greater later. And they talked about that even in those kids' life as adults. 
how did that affect them? How did those two groups live differently? And it's really quite an amazing study. But what I thought of that, delayed gratification, Wikipedia says, is the ability to resist the temptation for an immediate reward and wait for a later reward. Generally, delayed gratification is associated with resisting a smaller but more immediate reward in order to receive a larger or more enduring reward later. And in a way, I don't want to make this parallel too strong or too close, but in a way, this is the spiritual message of Philippians 2. That our calling as children of God is not just about satisfying what we want, what we think we deserve, what we think we earned. That there's an aspect about how we are called that actually allows us to say, yeah, fair enough. I'm willing to share, God, what you've given me. And there is a reward that God promises for those who truly are his followers. It's the example Jesus gave, and I think if we are willing to live this way, if we are willing to wrestle with what that means, we know, the Bible says, we will share in a reward we will actually share in the glory that Jesus now experiences. Jesus' life of service, Jesus' life of sacrifice, Jesus' life of humility, and even his death were not the end of his story. The last part of Philippians 2, verses 8 to 11, says this, Because God because Jesus was willing to obey, to come and serve those he created, it says this, therefore God exalted him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And you might say, yeah, well, that's Jesus. Romans 8, 17. These are words of Paul again. It says this, and since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. And again, the end of this, I was going to leave it out. It's like, wow, I hadn't ever really read that before. It says, for all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day 
when God will reveal who his children really are. And I listened to a sermon given by Francis Chan this last week. And he talked about sometimes within the Christian church, we, we want to grab verses, find a verse that talks about assurance, give it to somebody, and hopefully that verse will assure them. And he says, our assurance that we are children of God comes from the working out of our salvation as Paul and Peter talk about it. That if you see those qualities in your life, you say, God, that's what I want to be. I want to be a humble person. I want to be willing to serve. All of those things in your life speak to you that you are a child of God. I believe that those who really are his children are those who acknowledge that God exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The Bible says that. I believe his real children are those who acknowledge that Jesus truly is the son of the living God. I believe his children are those who have humbly confessed their sin and have accepted the forgiveness that Jesus offers. And then Paul and Peter remind us his real children are also those who are willing to live it out. Humble, sacrificial, servanthood lives. And I want to repeat what I said at the beginning, the credibility of our faith. The credibility of our vertical relationship with God, the credibility of our theology, of our faith, is demonstrated in the horizontal relationships of life. So it's demonstrated in our homes, it's demonstrated in our families, it may be demonstrated in the workplace. And ultimately, I think the most beautiful expression of that life is demonstrated in the church of God. Our willingness to simply humbly serve one another. Hebrews 10.24 says this, Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should be, do good to everyone. But then it says, especially to those in the family of faith. Galatians 6, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. I want to say this morning, I see those qualities in Creekside Church. I hear about those qualities within Creekside Church. Of people genuinely living that way. People genuinely seeking to live that way. Practical demonstrations of care and love. And hospitality and generosity in giving of time and energy and giving of money. All of that speaks and give evidence that we are children of Almighty God. And Paul says we should see these qualities in each other. 
We should see these qualities in our church, but I believe it is something that we need to also extend beyond the walls of Creekside Church. I think back to school is such a practical example of us finding a way to do that that uh, speaks to what it means to be a child of God. And it's my hope and prayer that the Spirit of God would continue to move us as individuals, that God would continue to move us as a church to follow the example of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to say thank you for the word of God that uh, we have. Uh, Father, these instructions about life, about how we are to live, about what you call us to do as your people. Father, I thank you for the cross. I thank you for the fact that we serve a risen Lord Jesus who sits exalted above all things even this morning. Father, would you help us as your children to be willing to live that way for your honor and for your glory. And Father, we hang on to that promise in your word that we too will share in the glory of Jesus. That as we learn to walk from this earth into eternity, Father, just give us uh, an understanding that many of the things around us aren't probably quite as important as we think they are. And that there is such a reward waiting for us that we cannot even grasp it. Help us, Father, give us a taste of that even this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.